Bradley, and thank you, Natalie. It's good to have Natalie and all of her family here with us today. Always good to, to welcome y'all, so thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking today at verses 17 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Let's read God's Word together. It says, The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, now as we come to this portion of your holy word, uh, Lord, we need your help. Uh, We need you to reveal these truths to us. Uh, Lord, no matter how hard we may try, no matter how hard we may search, if we search in our own power, uh, this book will remain just a book to us. And so we need your spirit to to make our hearts alive, to make this book live to us in a way that that maybe it's never lived to us before. Father, help us in this time that we have as we consider joy, real joy. Lord, may we see Jesus, who is the author of it all. May he be glorified, may he be magnified throughout this time, we pray in his name. Amen. Joy upon joy. Well, from a a pretty early age, really from the time that she was able to sit in the buggy, sit up straight, kind of facing me, Sarah Grace has really liked to go to Walmart. Now, there could be a good reason for that. Um, Daddy has a tendency, a very difficult time, not saying yes to toys and to coloring books and to snacks and all of those sorts of things. But in my defense, it's really hard not to give in when she's just so stinking cute. I mean, come on, you guys. I mean, really, I know she's mine, but really. Uh, But there is a joy in seeing her uh, see all these different things on the shelf and the kind of wonder that, that it produces in her. I have this video on my phone of when she was probably two years old, and we're at Walmart, and we're going down the aisles, and she is sitting facing me. So everything that she sees, she's seeing for the first time, right? It's, it's passing behind her, and it's coming into her sight. And y'all, it, we're in the toy aisle, and so every single new thing she sees, she says, Wow! Daddy! look at that. I want that. And of course, you got most of it. But but it was just amazing 
to see the joy that she felt as each new thing came into her sight. Each new thing seemed to be greater than the thing that had gone before. She was full of joy upon joy upon joy. Now, on the one hand, isn't it sad that especially this time of year, as we grow older, that we lose some of that joy? You know, it's, it's really amazing how we get callous to, to life, how things just become so mundane to us. Maybe we just get so familiar with the things and the people around us uh, that they just kind of become sort of a, a ho-hum, right? And that's especially true, I think, in our spiritual lives. Uh, You know, the majority of us here have had the joy of growing up in the church. And look, that's not something that we should take for granted, and that's not something I'm here to disparage. That is a privilege that God has given us to come from, from believing families, to grow up in the place where we have with faithful teaching year after year after year. That's something we should rejoice in. But, but the, the side effect of that often seems to be uh, that we kind of grow callous to the things of God. That at least in our spiritual lives, the, the joy that we once felt when we were learning these things for the first time, you know, that's part of the joy of what we do here with the children, is teaching them these things and seeing their, their, their eyes light up with understanding when they hear those Old Testament stories that, that we all are so familiar with. Seeing the the lights beginning to go off and click for them. That that is an amazing thing to witness and to see. And it really does. It brings me joy to see them experience that. But but the problem is, is as adults, often we don't feel that same wonder anymore. Though we should, like I told them, every morning wake up and be like Sarah Grace, awe-inspired, by all that God has done for us, by all of the new mercies he says that he brings to us every single day, we find the joy that that we once felt, uh, it is not there anymore, right? And so the question before us this morning as we come to this passage is how do we regain at least some of that joy? How can we live this Christian life, walk with our Savior day by day, and have at least an inkling of that wonder that we started this journey with. Well, in our passage today, as these 72 make their way back to report all of their success, all of the great things they have experienced out in the world, we see joy really overflow in their lives. That they are so excited by by what they've experienced, by what they have seen, that they can't wait to get back to to Jesus. It's like a child with their parent. They they run in the house and they say, guess what happened to me today? Well, you can see that here with these 72. They're running back to their master and they're saying, you're not going to believe what we were able to do out in the world. Notice these things that we did. But What I want you to see is that great as that success was, and it, it is great, and it's a success that I hope we are able to experience as well. What we see is that Jesus, though he affirms their joy there, ultimately he points their joy to something else. He roots their joy in something that is eternal, something that is accomplished, something that cannot be shaken. And friends, when our joy is there, 
when, when we are rooted in something that, that does not change, then we can be sure that we can have joy day to day, year to year, as long as we walk with our Savior. And so that's what I want us to consider here before us. Let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see is just the, the simple joy of success. The simple joy of success. Again, you'll remember last week we, we saw how Jesus sent these 72 out into the world. He gave them authority and power over all of these things. They took the gospel out, and now they come back. And you remember how we challenged ourselves, challenged us as a church to do that same thing. And, and notice the, the joy they have as they come back. It says there in verse 21, in that same hour, no, Sorry, in verse 17, it says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, there's something wonderful about this, isn't there? Think back to last week. Think back to to verses 2 and 3 and think about the way that that Jesus sent them out. Sort of the the pregame speech that he gave them. You know, if Mike Leach or if, if Lane Kiffin... Lane Kiffin, if they decided to to give a speech like this one, Lane probably would not be making all that money that he's making today. You know, if he sent the the players out and said, hey, you're going out here and they're like wolves, they're like giants, and y'all are like little people, y'all are going to get run over and crushed, that probably wouldn't go over too well, right? But that's exactly what Jesus does there in verses 2 and 3. He says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's not very many of y'all. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, look, we can be sure that, that as they went out, they faced difficult and trying times. They faced hardship probably at every turn. Remember, he sent them out with nothing. They had no knapsack. They had no money. They had no food. And so we can be sure that there were nights and days where they struggled. But as they return here in our passage, what are the words that are on their lips? It's not Jesus, oh, we struggled in all these ways. Let let, let us tell you about the hardships that we faced. The words on their lips are, let me tell you about all the joys we just experienced. Let me tell you about all the success that we just had. Let Let me tell you, Jesus, about all the great things that we have experienced. Isn't that a wonderful assurance to us that certainly as we go out, there will be hardships and there will be trials. But as Paul reminds us, the trials and the hardships, they cannot begin to compare to the joy that we have in Jesus, to the successes even in this life that he will bring to us. They may be small, They may be hard to see, but they are far more worthy of praise than any hardships are worthy for us to dwell on for very long. He has given us success. And notice initially there how Jesus affirms this victory. He shares their joy and he confirms the the truth of what they report when he says there in verses 18 and 19. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, we're going to try to to unpack those uh, experiences, just what he says there, those verses, in just a second. But again, 
They're obedient. They're obedient to Christ's call. They go out. Friends, they experience joy. There's, a, there's joy in simply following Christ, simply following his word. Now look, I say that fully knowing that our, our works do not justify us. But if he is our creator, then surely he knows the best way for us to live. And so as we follow his commands, there is great joy. As he gives success, there is great joy. Now, I want to just think briefly about these two verses, verses 18 and 19, because they leave us with, with several different questions. Uh, first, we have to ask there as we read verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When exactly did Jesus see this? Well, what exactly is Jesus referring to here? And it's hard to know for certain, but some ha- have assumed that this is related to, to Satan's initial kind of rebellion, that his initial expulsion from heaven. Uh, we know that, that Satan was an archangel and that in his pride and his desire to be God, uh, he is uh, banished, he, he is sent out from that place. And so maybe what Christ is referring to here, because certainly he saw all of that happen, maybe he's referring back to that moment. Uh, The the problem with that is it's hard to understand what that has to do with the context of these 72, uh, of what is actually happening here. Uh, Maybe it's a reminder to them that that from the beginning, Satan's power has been under the authority of God, that God has been in control over him the whole time, that that he's not been able to do anything that God has not seen and been able to, to put subject under him, right? And so maybe that's it. Uh, But I think, given the the context, maybe there's another answer. Uh, Maybe the idea here is that rather than looking back to that initial rebellion, Jesus, in the success of his followers, he sees Satan begin to slip from that high place that he has in the world. Remember, he is the, the prince of this world, Paul says. But as these followers go out as they spread the gospel to all places, as people begin to have their lives transformed, Jesus sees Satan begin to to slip. He sees chinks in the armor, as it were. Certainly, the the, the battle is going to be won at the cross. The battle is going to be won at the empty grave. But even now, as his followers, he sees with, with every small victory, every small success that we bring, that power that he brings through us, that power of Satan begin to slip. And so when did Jesus see these things? Again, the, the answer is hard to know, but it seems that maybe even in their successes, they are beginning to see him slip from that high place that he has in this world. Second, the second question that we have to consider here, and again, this has to do with the, the authority and the power that God has given to these folks, is what exactly does that authority and that power entail? Um, you know, you, you read there in verse 19, it says, And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and on scorpions. And some have taken these words to mean that if we simply have enough faith, if we simply act in Christ's name, uh, that we can handle snakes and we can handle scorpions, we can handle all these things and they won't harm us, that they won't hurt us. Now look, I realize that we're not going to do that. I've, I'm not going to bring any serpents from the back and we're not going to do any snake handling today, not today. Uh, but now if you've been to Appalachia with us, you know that there were times where that seemed like a possibility, where that might have happened. Uh, but I think there is a great application here for us. 
What is the prevailing thought of Christianity, at least one of the prevailing thoughts of Christianity today? You know, you have this, this health and wealth gospel that says if we'll just believe just enough, if we'll have just enough faith, if we'll name our blessing and then just believe that God will give us everything, anything that we want, that he'll bless us financially, bless us with all of these things. Now look, the reality is, is that God might do that, but I think we have all experienced enough, we've all lived long enough, we've all know our history well enough to know that that rarely is the case, right? Uh, think back to these early Christians. Think back to the 12, the apostles, people who were closer to Jesus, walked with him every day. What kind of lives did they lead? lead? Uh, lives of, of hardship, right? Paul, the reformers, they, they suffered greatly for their faith. In fact, most of them lacked the things that, that we would consider just daily necessities. Most of them were, went hungry. Most of them went without shelter or, or food or whatever it may be. And almost all of them died horrible, terrible deaths. Now, maybe they didn't have enough faith. Maybe they didn't act in God's name. But friends, if that's the case, then I have to ask you, what hope do you and I have to do any better? Uh, I can assure you that I am no Paul, that I am no Peter, that I am no Calvin or Luther, and no offense, no offense, I could be wrong, but I don't imagine that any of us are. And so it doesn't seem that, that God intends to bless his people always, financially, always bless them without hardship here on this world. Uh, it doesn't seem that he intends to do that now. And so what is Jesus driving at here? What, why, what is the point of what he's saying? Certainly, he may not give us every blessing financially, every blessing physically, but what has he given us? Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? It spiritually, we can be sure that God will protect us from, from whatever may come. That if we belong to him, that if we are resting in what Christ has done for us on our behalf, that none of Satan's schemes, that none of his power will ultimately drive us away from him, right? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Not a thing, right? That's, that's ultimately what Paul comes to. Nothing in the created world can drive us from the love that Christ has for us, that we rest in. And so we can be sure here, though we may struggle in this life, Though financially we may not have all of the things that we want, though we, like these apostles, might even be destitute, we can be sure that if we are resting in Jesus, then friends, we have more than this world could possibly ever give us. We have all we will ever truly need. He is going to get us safely home, and there, there, he will bless us even beyond what we can possibly imagine. There, he will give us more than we can possibly imagine. And it begins now with himself. He has given us himself, and so we are rich beyond measure. We have joy, right? We have joy because he gives us success, but he also because he gives us all of these great spiritual blessings. He's given us his protection and so we have the, the simple joy of success. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice a greater joy, a greater joy of eternal life. You see that there in verse 20. 
Now, I realize that, that much of what I've just said may seem to be contradicted by this verse, but I want you to see that, that Christ's point here is not that the joy of success, uh, it's, it's not that it's not significant, because it is. It's great to see the way that he works in the lives of people. It's great to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior. But his point there in verse 20 is that there is greater joy still to be had. Read that verse with me. It says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here we have a joy that does not wane, that does not waver with our failures, with our successes. It does not rest on something that that is going to uh, move or or be gone, but it, it rests in something that is already accomplish something that can never be undone. It rests in something eternal. He says, rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, here, here is real joy. It's the real joy of Christianity. Here's the ultimate joy that we as creatures can ever experience with our Savior. It's being in his presence It's knowing that he will not let us go. He has saved us. And now we belong to him. He has given us eternal life. Eternal life that will never end. And as we read in our call to worship this morning, what is there in his presence? Fullness of joy. Fullness of joy for all of eternity in the presence of Christ. You see, Christ, he's not come to to make our lives dull, or to kill our joy. Oh, he wants us to to see that that he he wants us to be happy. He wants us to have the the fullness of joy. The problem, as C.S. Lewis says, is that we settle for so little. Y'all remember that great quote that he has, and I meant to print it out and I didn't do it, but I'm going to paraphrase it to you. He says, you know, we're creatures out there just kind of dabbling in sex and in Uh, the things of this world and our toys and our stuff. We dabble in all of these things when real joy, when real eternal joy has been offered to us. When we have all we need in Jesus. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here to us. He says we settle for temporary things. Yet in him we have all that we will ever need. Uh, Philip Ryken in his commentary, he recounts this story, and he says that he doesn't know if it's, if it's a true story uh, or if it's one that is just kind of one that has grown up in the church, uh, but it's a story about Martin Lloyd-Jones and Ian Murray. It says sometime late in 1980, Ian Murray visited the aging Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, the famous London preacher was drawing near to death and could only sit up for an hour or two each day. Murray asked an obvious question, how are you coping now that your ministry is so confined? After all, Lloyd-Jones had preached to countless thousands, bringing many to faith in Christ. He had also had a leading role in establishing important evangelical institutions like Tyndall House, the Westminster Conference, and the Banner of Truth. Lloyd-Jones replied, Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Then he said, I am perfectly content. This is the deepest source of the believer's joy through life and on into eternity. Our salvation is not based on what we have done, but on God's saving grace. For our names are written 
in the Lamb's book of life. We have greater joy, eternal joy, the joy of eternal life. Thirdly, thirdly and finally in this passage, I want you to see the greatest joy of all. We've seen uh, the joy of success. We've seen the greater joy of eternal life. And then finally, we see the greatest joy of all. You see it there in verses 21 and 22. It says, in that same hour that Jesus, the Son, he rejoiced. And that word is more emphatic than, than any of the other words of joy that they use there. The Greek word is more emphatic there. He rejoiced. How? In the Holy Spirit, and who did he rejoice in? The Father. He gave thanks to the Father, and what did he give thanks to the Father for? For his sovereign knowledge of her salvation, for the fact that he saves even the least. Friends, here is the greatest joy. The joy that exists between the Father and between the Son and between the Holy Spirit. The joy that has existed in the Godhead for all of eternity. It's perfect, it's unblemished, it's unbridled joy. This is the joy that brought the world into existence. This is the joy that you and I truly seek even now. And this is the joy that through Christ we have been invited into. Let me say that to you again. This is the joy that you and I in Christ have been invited into. Notice specifically what what Jesus is thankful for. He says there in verse 21, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. He's he's looking out at those Pharisees, those who think they have all the knowledge. He says, I'm thankful that you have hidden it from these. What has he done? What has he done? He's revealed it to little children, children who, who believe by faith, who trust him completely. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the the Son chooses to reveal him. Again, Jesus rejoices because God hasn't given this to the powerful or the arrogant or the most educated or the most popular, but he brings salvation to the weak and to the broken, to the sinful and to the needy, to those who are guilt-ridden, to those who have experienced shame. Those are the ones that he seeks out. Those are the ones that he brings salvation to. God loves those who have very little to offer him in return. Now, friends, that should make you want to stand up and do things that Presbyterians don't do. That should make you want to dance. That should make you want to do all kind of crazy things. Because the reality is, is every single one of us are those people. We have very little to offer a holy, triune, perfect God. He doesn't need us, especially in our sin. And yet he loves us so much that he has come and he has brought us into that relationship through Christ. He has made us a part of that joy. We now know the Father as only the Son knows the Father. He has revealed the Father to us. We now have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. We now are a part of that triune relationship. Somehow he has brought us in. And friends, there with that God 
is the greatest joy of all. Friends, again, I realize that this may sound like very religious Christian things to say. It may sound very theoretical in all of its, all of its uh, whatever it is. But let me ask you, if what we believe about God is true, if what we believe about Christ is true, and I'll assume that all of us would confess that it is, then what greater joy can there be than this? What greater joy can there be to know him? Not just as an acquaintance, not, not just as a friend, but to know him as father. To be able to say, our father, which art in heaven, and to mean it. To know that we are, through Christ, fellow heirs with him. And to know that our place, no matter what this life may bring, no matter what kind of hardships we may face, no matter what trials are on the horizon, to know that our place with him is secure for all of eternity. Friends, there is no greater joy than that. That's the point that, that he's making there in verses 23 and 24. He says, then turning to the disciples, he says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. This is what the angels longed for. This is what they, they had anticipated for all of those long centuries through the Old Testament. This is what kings wanted to see. Can you imagine if David had seen this? He danced down the street when the Ark of the Covenant returned. Can you imagine if he had seen the Savior, God in the flesh, born? This is what they longed to see. He says, your eyes have seen it. Friends, we have seen it as well. Through his word, we have seen Jesus. And so we have the simple joy of success. We have the greater joy still of our names being written in the book of life. And we have the greatest joy of all, that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we began with the question, how can we regain joy? How can we learn to live in it day by day? And honestly, the answer, especially for those of us who have grown up here in this place, is not a profound one in the sense that it's going to be something new, that it's going to be a 12-step program or some self-help that we can do. It's none of those things. Joy comes and it lasts only as we learn to lose ourselves in this one who has given himself completely for us. Joy lasts when we are looking and resting solely and wholly in the name of Jesus. Friends, today, will you trust in Christ? Will you find eternal joy with him? He invites you. Again, no matter who you may be, no matter what you may have done, no matter how much shame and guilt you may be loaded down with, he invites you. He says, come to me, even weary and heavy laden though you may be. And find rest. Find rest for your souls. Friends, today, will you do as Paul calls us to do there at the top of your bulletin? Will you rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, again, will you trust in him today as we pray together? Father, we do.
We rejoice in your presence. We rejoice in what you have done for us. And Lord, as we have confessed already, it's so easy for us to begin to take those things for granted. And we pray, especially at this time of year, uh, but always, uh, that you would not allow that to be the testimony of our hearts, uh, but that we would, as we consider what Jesus has done, that we would begin to love you more and more, that we would each day sing your new mercies to us, that we would learn to rejoice over and over again, joy upon joy upon joy in what Christ has done for us. May that be the the treasure of our hearts. May that be the greatest thing that we have ever experienced, the love of our triune God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.